Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Pause for Thought with me, your host, Alison. As I mentioned on the last episode, we have a very special guest joining us today. And here she is. Please introduce yourself. Hello, guys. I'm Tash. Uh, I'm a registered veterinary nurse and I work at a practice, a first opinion practice uh, for small animals in Unicorn Vets Fairfield. I love that unicorn. What was that again? Unicorn? What? Sorry. Unicorn Vets. Oh, I love it. That was such a cool name. (laughs) (laughs) So before we move on, Tash, I just before we start asking all questions, um, I just wanted to personally thank your uh, your profession, simply because when my youngest dog, he's got a really minor heart condition. Uh, Don't ask me what it's called. I really can't remember. It's something to do with his valves. But I had to take him uh, to the vets to get his teeth cleaned. And while he was in there, the vet nurse said to me that he had to have a slightly different medication um, to put him to sleep uh, while they did the teeth cleaning and ultimately had to have a tooth out. I was already stressed at this point because I do get stressed when it comes to my two. And as I was handing him over, I had a small panic attack. My husband was in the car, so he had no idea what was going on. But all credit to her, she waited with me. She made sure I was okay, you know, sort of calmed down. And he was calm before she, she, you know, she took him away. Even though it was nine o'clock in the morning, she had about 50 people waiting outside. (laughs) And there I was having a small panic attack. So that for me was, that sealed it for me. I was like, do you know what? She is my hero. <laughs> I think that goes without saying with a lot of owners, um, these pets are their babies. They are their family. They're a big part of their life. So it is quite a common that we get an owner that is quite worried, quite stressed. I mean, naturally, so I probably would be if it was my child too, or my fur baby. Um, I've been there. I've been that owner myself, even being in the industry, um, it is quite a stressful thing to sort of like hand over your precious pride and joy over to a complete stranger almost um, and then just completely trust them with your sort of like your your pet's um, well-being and sort of care after that it's out of your control once it's um, once you've handed them over to somebody in the veterinary profession so yeah it is a complete weird sort of like trusting a stranger almost I mean they might not be a stranger in terms of if you've seen this person regularly Mm -hmm. um with previous previous pets or that particular pet um so yeah completely understand where you are coming from (laughs) as I've said I've been there as an owner and in the veterinary profession I I can totally relate to that so (laughs) cool so what got you into being a vet nurse um, I think I've always had a love for animals. I mean, growing up from a young age, I was fascinated with David Attenborough. I mean, what a guy! What a guy! I, I mean, know, I was, legends. I was, and and still, a, 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 we can actually say that we've got a living legend among us um, who's still going out his way and educating everybody about like um, various different species that we've never heard of. Like he's discovered so many, hasn't he? Or oh, like yes. um, problems that are that the world is sort of like facing with the habitat problems and things like that. So yeah I grew up um, being fascinated with David Attenborough and watching things like Animal Hospital or the RSPCA programs and I was just completely like oh this is amazing I really (laughs) I really love animals and I got my first um, pet when I was quite young I had a hamster and um, it wasn't a particularly friendly hamster I will say (laughs) Um, and uh, I was just like it was like my first insight into looking after an animal and that was my responsibility and I learned that from what the age of maybe five or six Mm -hmm. um and that was a big responsibility and um just like 
being taught how to like look after something that's completely dependent on you much like having a child really um and yeah completely um was just in awe with it um I'd loved I loved going to like um say like zoos and farms and um be, uh, being around different animals I was quite lucky as a child to be able to have that sort of exposure um and then we got sort of like our first dog uh, I think I was probably roughly seven years old and again uh, I was constantly like um <laughs> practicing being like a vet at the time oh, like really? my or, or my stuffed animals like I used to practice like um using the step like a plastic stethoscope back at the time like it um we didn't have like um like a, a vet briefcase but it, so it's like a doctor's briefcase and um used to like practice um they, I mean my poor dogs they were so compliant with me and I was like practicing like bandaging their legs and um oh no he's so poorly and like, obviously like do like blankets over them and <laughs> pretending they were at the hospital and things like that um and obviously with having pets um I was then sort of like I got to go to the vets with them and like meeting um the person in the white coat kind of thing um and I was just like oh you must have an amazing job like completely as in completely in awe with it completely like naive to obviously um say like behind the scenes later on in life but um yeah just remember growing up and just like it was like my happy place I was just like oh I love animals and um like it, that stuck with me from as I said from like my parents have always said like from the minute I could probably talk it was animal obsessed um so I guess that kind of stemmed from there sort of it's just something that has never really gone away um it's something I've wanted to get into for a long time I didn't initially get into the veterinary industry because it is like say like the medical field it is very complex competitive mm -hmm. um to get into so I remember when I tried for a couple of years I didn't get in because I didn't have like a lot of experience being in a vet's practice um I had like sort of like your work experience when you're at school like the two-week work experience placement and yeah. I was at a vet's um and just remember really enjoying it and that as I said that carried on into adult life um and then I tried to get in and I wasn't successful for the first couple of times, but it didn't stop me. I mean, at first I went away and did hairdressing for a number of years. I think I did um, before I went back into education to do it again. I was there doing a full time job for seven years as a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of prompted by my sister, who is. I want to say a human nurse compared to an animal nurse. <laughs> yeah. um, she uh, kind of like prompted at me when we went to her badging ceremony um, a number of years ago. And she said, when are you going to go and do veterinary nursing? And I was like, oh, I just don't know if I've got the confidence to do it. Like it's a lot and I've tried and I can't get in. And she goes, but you've always wanted to do it. So I, I, I owe her a big thanks in terms mm -hmm. of giving giving me that nudge and that support and that was like say that was a Thursday or a Friday uh she she personally called the college and uh, sort of like a, sorted out an application for me to go and do an access course and then I went and had an interview with the college on Monday not oh. a, a bunch to know to me like I completely was oblivious and she was like right I'm driving you down we've got an interview I had to um have an interview with the college and answer some questions and do it uh, like a, a short exam and the rest is history I then went on to do um an access course which is an intensive course if nobody knows an intensive course um to sort of like up your application um for uni applications and that was that was intense for the first year um and then 
they help you apply for various um, universities and things or whatever step you go on to next. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Sparshalt College, which do a foundation degree in veterinary nursing, plus they do diploma routes as well. And got really um got really involved with that um and then I was there for about four years I think and I had my son during that time as well oh, wow. so it, yeah it was quite an intense um couple of years but I was so driven I so wanted to be a veterinary nurse that it didn't stop me mm-hmm. once I started once it started once I had it in my grasp in terms of I'm here I'm doing it I continued with every fiber of my body to then become a veterinary nurse so yeah that's how I got into it and that's why I got into it no, oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. So that really would lead me on to my next one. Do you enjoy it? I would say the the answer to that is yes, but absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely yes. Um, it is. It isn't a job that you go in for the love of money. Um, it's more of a a passion in the industry that you have. Um, I've learned so much more. Be like before being in the industry, I was completely unaware of how much pressure or how much you do in within a role because there isn't much knowledge on a veterinary nurse out there I would say we are multiple skills in the one person and so yeah it's it is a it is a rewarding job uh, but they do there are some lows in, in any job really you will have some lows in there as well but um it is definitely a job that I don't want to leave um and we'll see where sort of like my next steps in my career take me I suppose that there's lots of opportunities within the job but yeah I would recommend it if like it does take a special individual to be able to handle um a lot of the daily challenges I will say so if you have a love for the industry and you want to get into it then obviously by all means like go and do some placements to get some experience to see if it's something that you want to get involved in because obviously social media or even on tv it isn't all puppies and kittens and um cuddling and all that it's not it's not all that um as much as we want it to be as much as we want it to be I mean that's how I thought it would be at a young age Um, but I was completely um sort of like brought to reality when I got into the job so um if it's something that somebody wants to get into and have huge interest then by all means give it a crack give it a go because it is it is a rewarding job uh, at the same time but as I said be aware it's not all fluffy kittens and puppies and things like that um there are some messy sides to the job as well oh yes I can imagine so what really has been your your highs and your lows of of your job I think um, a high, a high for me was becoming qualified. Um, I graduated yeah. in 2018, so not that long ago have I been in the industry. But doing um, my college course, I was able and fortunate to go out to some lovely practices that um, gave me a lot of experience, and they were really great, helpful teams as well to be able to get you to understand different aspects of each animal I mean you're working with not just one anatomy you're not working with just one species you're not just working with say like one condition it and it it displays differently in each species and to each other so um, I was really fortunate to have such supportive teams in within those roles um, that I played so yeah massive high when I got graduated and qualified and I thought yes I've done it like despite (laughs) despite the obstacles in the way I managed to get here so yeah definitely massive highs when I got um, I got qualified and sort of became a a member of a, a different family if that makes sense yeah what about your lows what's been the lows of your job 
obviously with any job there comes there does come with some lows I mean it's it's never easy being in the veterinary industry um as I said it does take a particular character uh, in uh, individual I suppose um you do get some really sad cases some that are just morally wrong um and that takes a lot of like um strengthening yourself to not obviously judge or to criticize or um to become emotionally involved sometimes you just you just you go blank you have to focus on that patient um and get really stuck in and make sure you're providing the best care so some of the lows i find um is online bashing um, within the job that really does affect like loads of individuals really like it won't it, if they if someone online bashed a vet and they name drop a vet that causes a lot of uh, distress on that vet as well but not just the vet like their team are mm-hmm. quite affected and the practice itself and sometimes you just don't hear the full story so within the industry that it has to, it has to be known like uh, suicide is a huge problem mental health is a huge problem within the veterinary industry there's been people that have unfortunately taking their lives because of say like death threats or um online bashing people like like, say like had their cars meddled with and things like that so once you've name dropped a vet they start getting these inboxes in their face but they seek people out it's almost like a a council culture almost like we must uh, you were so wrong in what you did but despite how much they do right and it's not necessarily like say for a situation it's not necessarily the vet's fault yeah Um, I mean if we are at fault we do get put in front of our governing body and it is assessed seriously but sometimes these stories that come out it is half a story there isn't um the vet isn't on there going well actually this happened or whatever there that that takes an emotional strain on people and as a as a, a team member like you do worry about your teammate um, so you go home and that is a that is a huge low I've got to say in in the job like we're not people that are after money mm-hmm. uh, we're not we're not the enemy um we are somebody that is there to provide care for that animal and for the owner like sometimes obviously like we spoke about at the beginning mm-hmm. owners are very very worried when they uh, hand over their pets to a complete stranger sometimes and that that to me like if you could see if you were a flower on the wall and you can see behind the scenes, you will know that we aren't the enemy and we do our utmost best as we can for each and individual patient. Um, we're not all about the money. Things are going to cost money. Mm-hmm. Running a building, having the staff, um, having sort of like the consumables. So what I mean by like having syringes and needles and the, uh, the pharmaceuticals um, available to be able to provide care for your pet, etc. So that all costs money. We are... Um, a private healthcare, I suppose, for animals, but we're still cheaper than human healthcare. <laughs> we're not, there is no, unfortunately, doggy NHS where obviously we pay through taxes the NHS services that we have. And we're very lucky. We're hugely yes, lucky to yes. have an NHS. And um, unfortunately, just people don't fully understand that even for the NHS, it costs a lot of money. Um, so if we were provided bills from the NHS, I think we'd be quite surprised and become more aware. So there are some things in the veterinary industry like um with operations yes that's going to cost a lot of money because you've got someone that's um qualified in that area you've got people that are monitoring your pet 24 7 Mm -hmm. um and providing as i said the best sort of like 
monitoring methods or pharmaceuticals or even like the most updated sort of like care for that particular thing that's gone wrong or needs help with. I want to just stress to the listeners that, you know, it is super important to make sure that you fully understand the both sides of the story. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the veterinary industry. I'm not just talking about my industry being a dog groomer. That's, you know, it plays, mental health is a big part of our life, especially right now. And, you know, all credit to you guys, because I know that you don't get paid a lot of money. Um, I know, you know, we spoke about this uh, prior to recording and I, I was, I must admit, I was shocked. So, everything you guys do you know well hats off to you really hats off to you I mean I could go through a like a sort of like typical day I mean this could be a vet this could be a vet nurse even the receptionist they're wonderful people on that fact I mean they're the first line uh, in response to any phone call any query that you have uh, and they're brilliant and they deserve recognition as well it's not just like the vet and vet nurses there are receptionists that are wonderful people and they are really help- they want to help as well and they often get bashed over the phone or whatever but um they and they're thick-skinned I mean hats off to them <laughs> um as I said they're the first line of defense and they and they take on sort of like the most of the frustration or the worry straight away and absorb that and then it gets filtered down to the rest of the team the a typical day really for like say if you've got like a vet on board or even a nurse involved with the vet you could first thing in the morning you could have uh, a brand new kitten or a brand new puppy um, to a loving new family and you're getting to meet that family for the first time or you're getting to meet that puppy for the first time or kitten sorry Um, so you're developing a relationship already with those people and providing one education and to the best care that can be possibly given to that patient so the first appointment is really high it's really happy and oh my god cuteness and Mm -hmm. all that and then give the vaccination and just like um, comfort that puppy or kitten because it can be a little bit itchy and a bit sore. So they do tend to yelp and it's a bit of a, or sometimes it can be a bit of an overreaction, but I can't <laughs> speak for them because I don't get vaccinated <laughs> like they do. Um, and then quite literally the appointment directly after, I mean, these can be 15, 20 minute appointments quite literally, and they're back to back throughout a day. So you're talking like a 10 hour day here. Um, so the first appointment again, could be a, a brand new puppy to a wonderful new family who are really like excited and everything's um, happy roses and things like that. The next appointment could be an admit for a operation. It could be a routine. It could be something that's non-routine. Um, and that owner is obviously quite worried so you um, obviously put the owner's needs first as well in terms of comfort and making sure that obviously that patient's going to be well looked after so that gets admitted then they formulate a plan for that um, particular patient does it need to go on fluids does it need certain uh, different uh, say like drugs before it needs to be uh, blood tests like they um have have we um thoroughly listened to the heart is there a murmur that we can hear etc so that again is another appointment. The next appointment could be, unfortunately, a uh, put to sleep, so mm-hmm. a euthanasia, um, and this could be again, it could be someone that we've well, we've become well acquainted with, like someone that we've known for years, um, and have, have developed a relationship with those fam- the family members, but also to that patient. So. And we've provided care for that patient, even if it's like, say, like been really sick recently and we've um, had that patient in quite regularly and looked after that patient. And that can be quite sad. And then directly after that appointment could be um, a flea and and warmer treatment Mm -hmm. um, for 
a patient or anything like that and then directly after that we could be in theatre doing the operations and then after the operations once that's all settled and um sort of like completed and the patients have been looked after and the owners have been updated then we are back into doing consultations again so it could be um, another booster it could be an, an emergency case like a, a, do a dog or a cat has got labored breathing so we then we need to fixate ourselves onto that so mental health yeah is a huge thing and it when you're on the job that you don't have time to think you have you have no time to really have I had a drink today? Have I gone for a, um, a wee? Have I, do I need to phone that owner regarding results? When am I going to get time for that? We often do take our caseloads home and um, or we often stay late or come in early. Um, so it can be quite a tough day. So yeah, that's sort of like, that's just an, uh, like a, an average sort of example, say. And that obviously when, it's no disrespect to the owners. I mean, you're coming in for, for one appointment yeah. these people are seeing multiple appointments and it can be for various different things and sometimes when um say like a an owner's not particularly happy with um, a service and obviously we do our best to correct that mm -hmm. but sometimes uh, at the same time we are human beings we have families of our own we have our own pets to look after as well we have ourselves to look after but we don't often put ourselves first because <laughs> we don't think about ourselves in the time we don't um so yeah mental health is a a huge thing and I always um, would like to say like always be kind because you just don't know what's going on say like after your appointment or prior to your appointment or behind closed doors they these people do the job because they love the job and um, not because of again it's like a financial gain for themselves it is it does require a certain sturdy sort of person to be able to go through um, the veterinary training and obviously dealing with everyday routine sort of the uh, challenges in the job yeah I mean, I'm I'm knackered just even thinking about what you do for it. But and you're right, you know, we don't see that, you know, and it and it's probably the same with every profession. But for yours, definitely, I would never have envisaged that you would have done so much in in one shift, you know. Yeah. So whew. yeah, <laughs> superheroes. Um, yeah, definitely. Get your own cape made up. <laughs> um so what has been your your favorite moment so far has there been a particular favorite moment that you've had I think favorite moment I get well I can speak for a lot of people like when you've got um say like a dog that's got dodgy veins hitting that vein with a um a, a cannula in it's a pretty rewarding <laughs> feeling or like hitting that vein for um a blood test and you've had a vet that's tried before and they're like just give me one shot and you get it first time that is a brilliant like oh you just feel like <laughs> yeah you just feel like oh you're you're immortal you're amazing and things like that and that can be sometimes quite high um highs highs moments is obviously um when you've had a patient that's come in that's quite poorly and that patient then walks out uh, of the door um after all your efforts and they've really sort of like be, they've recovered from this from from whatever they've gone through that's quite high high moments in in the career um and that's what makes the career as well as obviously having your patient recover and things like that so yeah I would say that was I mean there I don't I can't really think at the top of my head what particularly is the highest mm -hmm. but um, I can certainly give you like loads of little victories in the in the job perfect so what we're going to do is if you're happy we'll move on to um some questioners questioners some questions from the listeners uh if you're happy to do that so Let's have a look at, so this is um, Tracy Duckworth. Now, Tracy's a dog groomer, and this is quite a 
controversial thing within within our industry because we just don't know we get told one thing and then another so the question is who should do anal glands and ear plucking um i think if you are competent as a as a dog groomer Mm -hmm. then i don't see why you shouldn't have to do it but if you picked up like obviously if you see you guys will see um hopefully um say a patient or a customer a lot more than we do Mm -hmm. um so if you are a competent dog groomer then I don't see that being a problem in doing ear plucking I would say is quite sore so it it depends on individual dogs or cats I suppose anal glands again if you're competent at doing it but obviously it's just becoming aware of what's abnormal um, when it comes to uh, like anal glands so if you detected something a bit abnormal like they weren't one they weren't easy to express two they were really smelly or three they were like green or something then obviously I would recommend to that customer look I think you need to seek vet- veterinary attention or if the owners reported say like oh he's having some problems and this that and the next thing then again you as a groomer could say I think you need to like this is out of my sort of qualification I think you maybe need to see a vet and then that way like I do think that groomers and the veterinary industry should work together on that really and have an agreement so yeah if you are competent at doing that then I don't see it being an issue for dog groomers but obviously in the veterinary industry we're happy to see that as well so I don't think there's a right or wrong like sort of answer there for me Mm -hmm. personally but um as I said if you're competent then yeah, I don't see that being a problem. Obviously, some of these questions are from dog groomers simply because, you know, I push the question out um, to ask questions. So we've got one. So this is from Kira Harrison, who's dog groomer. I would love to hear the vet nurse opinion on the following. As a groomer, I would love to see more vets advising the customer on how important it is to get certain breeds groomed for the overall well-being. Does she agree? Completely. (laughs) Um, I do completely agree I mean we've had we've often had people uh, bring their pets in and say oh can you um, trim up the dog or whatever and we've I've literally turned around to people that there's two things in the veterinary industry when when it comes to grooming it's shave or not shave Uh, we we prepare surgical um, for surgical procedures and that is shaved hair off so (laughs) yeah you it is it is uh, I totally agree in terms of like there are breeds out there that do require um sort of like detailed attention in terms of like dog grooming for one like cleanliness especially two certain breeds have got skin conditions and they need to be monitored and they need to be looked after and unfortunately with the veterinary industry we're not groomers we are there for the welfare um side of things in terms of their health so Mm -hmm. yeah uh I i completely agree like in terms of when someone has it has brought a new dog like this could be um, a poodle a cockapoo a bichon frise that to me will require a dog grooming service because they their hair needs uh, attention and their skin needs to be looked after properly um so yeah i totally agree with um kira to say that i would agree in on certain breeds yes that they would need um groomers involved in their r- routinely care and as a yeah so yeah <laughs> so this next one is from alex dodd he he's just i mean it's quite a vague question but he says about skin problems especially yeasty ears now i think he means you know a fix or advice to give to owners because i i mean i've been i've been grooming for a few years now and i've seen some really terrible states of ears um as especially yeasty ears and and quite frankly i i can only 
give them advice on, on products that I've seen, but ultimately that's not a fix. So what, you know, what is, what can owners do? But for me personally, it's just monitoring. Um, I mean, your floppy ear dogs, especially, um, they, they do tend to become more prone to sort of like ear problems. Um, with ears uh, in animals, they have much shorter ear canals. Like they have like an eardrum that's protecting their ear. So um, I would often say to people, if you've got if you've got a animal that's got ear problems, I would definitely recommend seeing a vet because it isn't something to mess around with. I mean, it can cause problems if you it can cause problems if with their balance even like they become really like um, uneasy on their feet. So I do I would recommend like the, I, I can't sit here and go there is an easy fix because. You, it's such a wide area in terms of like um you don't know personally what you're dealing with i mean if you you can get certainly you can get ear cleaners um mm. and clean them out obviously with you guys with being dog groomers that like you'll see that quite often but if it is a problem that is not going away then i would definitely seek veterinary attention to see why is that not going away does it need antibiotics does it need further testing or investigations because there are dogs that unfortunately are predisposed to ear problems so yeah. you don't want to make that worse um by going away doing something completely blindly because that ear canal and the eardrum needs to be examined first before you then go on and give a treatment you won't catch a vet just handing out a a, a, prescri a prescription ear cleaner without mm. actually examining that that ear canal first so unfortunately there isn't really a quick fix it's just kind of like monitoring and knowing your dog i suppose or cat even Mm -hmm. um there there will be like quite a lot of time there will be like external sort of earwax and um, you can clear clean the external ear no problem but i would be careful when it comes to sort of like the internal ear part mm -hmm. um so yeah i it's just monitoring and if there's like if, if if it's a like a funny smell and things like that then i would probably seek veterinary attention for that so beth has asked my question would be what's your favorite and least favorite animal or breed of dog or any animal that you get in i love all animals um <laughs> cats are testing i will say <laughs> they're like little ninja warriors with teeth and then knives on every foot of their of their of their body so uh, cats can be testing but i've grown to love cats well i say respect cats at a distance almost um but they're that cats are quite sensitive and unique in their own league to be honest mm -hmm. um that they're not really they're not i don't actually think they're classed as domestic pets really because they're so they're so complicated i mean we're still learning all the time about cats like there's so many things that were just like they wow us like it's just like wow okay <laughs> that's different you know what i mean like we're still learning like medicine and science are updating all the time so like even just learning about their behaviors even mm -hmm. we're still learning a lot about so my least i don't think there's a least but i i think one that probably would upset me a lot i mean as i said i've not met say like dogs that I really don't like in particular breeds but um it's uh brachycephalic pets yes so so um brachycephalic so brachycephalic is basically like squash nodes dogs so that could be your pug that could be your bulldogs that could be um boxers shih tzus and things like that so that if that can be quite um sort of like upsetting to see because like that animal is struggling from the get-go to even breathe yes um so obviously with the veterinary industry as well i, I can't speak for the veterinary industry but the, there is a breed to breathe campaign going on to obviously try and stop that problem mm -hmm. i mean they're very cute don't get me wrong um and as i said dogs are amazing but 
it's kind of not eradicating the problem. So you, you've got like um, what's called a Boas surgery. So obviously trying to open up that no nasal canal a little bit more for them to be able to breathe. It's not really fixing the problem. Like the, the breeders, again, no disrespect to them, but these are bred for more aesthetic reasons, like looking more like a baby. It, mm -hmm. That's what I was yeah. told, like with, yeah. especially with pugs. It isn't, it isn't without complications because like these dogs have multiple problems trying to breathe and it can call it can lead on to other things so i wouldn't say like there's a least favorite but certainly with brachycephalics like i think we could do better i mean you just brought up the uh breathe to breathe campaign now for hopefully uh we can get a link to that if you can send yeah. that over um and then we can post that on facebook instagram uh for for the listeners to have a look at and, and get involved where they can so yep. I think that's a really good, good one to bring up. So <laughs> this is one I, so to the listeners, I actually sent some of these questions already uh, to Tash, but this one came in uh, yesterday. This is from uh, Leslie McCourt. She says, what's the funniest thing that's happened in your work? Funniest thing that's happened in my work. There's multiple funny stories. Um, I think I, I, uh, I think I was, helping sort of like handle and restrain uh, quite a large dog. Uh, I, I'm not a big person myself uh, and I have four Alaskan Malamutes at home as well. So again, I'm quite well known around a, a large breed of dog. <laughs> yeah. And I think I was, I think I was just holding this dog for a blood test or something, or it was getting a cannula placed in. And this dog was not very happy. I think it was a, this huge, massive German Shepherd. And um, the German Shepherd had different ideas. And it, I pretty much rode that dog across oh. the room. And um, I, I, I fell off and everything. Like, I was um, holding the dog sort of like in between my legs and just like gently cuddling it. And obviously, like, um, it's important to stay still and stuff. And uh, my colleague was um, on the floor, like placing a cannula or getting a blood sample. And um, the dog just took off and I just ran <laughs> off with it. Uh, and obviously I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's back and things like that. But the dog just didn't care, completely just took off and it took off with me on him. Oh my uh, God. And uh, yeah, uh, that that was funny. Um, but yeah, there's been there's been multiples like uh, when doing anal glands in a, in a consult. I think I was uh, I think I was like sort of like in the firing line, I suppose. Oh. <laughs> and I got and I quite literally lifted a dog's tail, and this anal gland just shot out at me because obviously the dog was quite nervous, and I got I remember just being covered <laughs> in, in anal glands, and it just made me feel horrible. Do you know uh, what? But, I, I must admit, when it comes to that, there are there going to be some groomers that are going to listen to this going. You know what? We've had it. We've had yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, that has happened to us as well. <laughs> yeah, it quite often is. But like, oh god, it's just like it's just like oh, just such a degrading feeling. <laughs> like having like I'm used to as a, in the in in the jobs that we're in, we're quite used to having all sorts of bodily fluids thrown on us. Like that could be like obviously phlegm. That's disgusting. <laughs> that could be um, uh, poo. It could be any we and anal glands. Like it. It just go. You just go. Oh God, is 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 this my life kind of thing? <laughs> um, and it's like a it, yeah. It's a personal pro a perfume to be given. I tell you, but um, yeah, just yes. like there are there are multiple funny stories. Um, just for like amongst the staff, even. I mean, you have to have quite a sense of humor in the job to basically yes. get by. So yeah, uh, there there's there's been hilarious 
stories involved with cats especially I mean as I said they're illegal their own and they do get they do get a little bit spicy a little bit sassy um and um <laughs> one of my work colleagues who's an amazing nurse um she's one of my senior nurses and I look up to her quite a lot when it comes to cat handling and she loves a psycho cat I, I and I look at her and I was like what is wrong with you you know she loves the psycho cat um and yeah just watching her like dealing with a psycho cat she's so calm and I think that's important in the job as well when you're dealing with something that's so stressed she's just so calm and she like if she gets nibbled on she would just be like oh okay she's like trying to like cuddle it and stuff and I'm like I'm looking at like that cat literally wants to kill you and you're just like completely <laughs> oblivious um but yeah like I look yeah like cats as I said are completely different league on their own they're c- completely unique in their own special way So talking about cats, this is from Naomi Cooper. She's just asked, uh, Naomi's actually a friend of mine, um, and she's asked, how do I get my cat to accept my kitten? Now, I know this is probably a completely hard question to ask, but... um, uh, Yeah, I'll try and answer it as best I can. Um, It's solely, like, it depends if, say, like, the cat she had originally, has it... Um, had another cat it's lived with before or has it been completely on its own so if it had say like if it was like an older cat and say um and it was part of two like say if you had two cats and then one unfortunately passed away or ran away or whatever I do feel like cats do mourn over the loss of um say like a, a partner in crime really so if you can imagine in terms of like a human aspect um say if you've lost um a sister or you've lost um a dearest friend um we do grieve uh, and I do believe that cats do the same and almost like if you just think oh they're going to be lonely um and I need to buy uh, I need to go out and get him some company or her company um and then introducing that that's almost like okay your your family member or your friend has passed away here's a new best friend that you're going to completely love and things like that so sometimes if cats have been sort of like um, used to say like a particular cat before, sometimes they may not at all um, accept a new sort of like member to the family or they might just tolerate it. I mean, having multiple cats in one household is quite a complex sort of like um, situation to be in because cats are solidary animals. So they like to be on their own, really. They're kind of like, they're quite independent. It's not like a like a dog that they're really like excited and they need you to like help them all the time or like they need your attention and they look for attention. I'm not saying cats don't, like there are some cats that are quite affectionate as well, but um, they are kind of like a solo act really. Um, so unless they were like litter mates, um, before uh into a cat household you shouldn't have too many problems but introducing say like two cats at various different times or um different litters etc it can be really quite difficult to introduce to each other and make sure they get along my advice is um making like uh, making sure there's no competition over food or um hiding spaces or like water and things like that so having the same sort of like um food bowls water bowls litter trays bedding as in places to hide and stuff make sure that that there is plenty of those around so there isn't no competition and just making sure that the original cat knows that this new cat is part of their social circle because um obviously they get very territorial even in the wild they get very territorial and defend that territory and you're their territory they own you it's not the other way around um and yeah so i would just like don't punish the cat if it starts showing like aggression things because it's not gonna it, it, it doesn't 
um, have a positive effect on them. Mm-hmm. Um, just introduce, like, just don't force them, just introduce them slowly um, and take your time with it and just getting them used to like living each other's space. I mean, you might find that they don't ever sort of like sit next to each other or play with each other, etc. And that's fine. They're just coexisting, living in the same area that way. And it can be quite stressful for them both to live with another sort of like cat or a friend or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's just playing on the particular cat's needs and making sure that they're not under threat as well. You can speak to your veterinary professions about like ideas and stuff. I mean, there's a great website like the Cats Protection mm-hmm. um, website. They have a lot of like useful information and then just monitoring their behavior and making sure that they're not under threat or having to have a competition with each other, etc. Okay, perfect. So really what I just wanted to kind of ask is what should we be checking on our pets on a regular basis? So health checks, what should we be doing as owners on a weekly sort of basis, you know, so that we're aware of of our health of our animals? Right, okay. So you could, at home as an owner, um, is put your hands on your pet quite often. Like, you'll be amazed at how many amazing owners out there that literally just touch their dogs from like uh, nose to tail just like feeling their dogs making sure that there's no new lumps or like say like skin issues and things like that um so just like patting down your dog or your cat like sort of like see if you can pick up any early signs or something like that needs attention checking your dog or cat's teeth that can be quite simply done is like lifting the gum and just having a look to see if there's like say like inflamed gums um that could lead to like gingivitis and things which could cause problems of them not eating and then other problems after that checking their ears when you get puppies like literally again just almost like uh what we would call is a nose to tail examination so checking their mouth uh checking their nose checking their eyes checking their ears touching their feet getting them used to having their feet touched because that is a huge problem sometimes when you have say like especially if you've got a pug that comes in that's already got breathing problems and then it's stressed out of its eyeballs because you're touching its feet like you yeah that can be quite it must just be a pug thing because they definitely hate it when their feet (laughs) yeah like just like touching the feet like um like if you need help in terms of how, how do I cut my dog's nails at home yes there is a special like there is like a like an eye out you've got to keep out for their their nail quicks if you cut one of them and it bleeds, it's very sore. It's like almost cutting your own nail sort of like off a little bit and it's sore and you don't want to put your, your weight on it and things like that. So um, just playing with their feet, touching all over their body, um, getting them used to like socializing them if you can, like socializing them with different age groups. So from like young children to like complete strangers and say like if you're on a, out on a, on a dog walk say um getting them used to bikes even or like mm. um say people in wheelchairs because that's going really really fast and it's and they've got human on it and it can be quite threatening and um sort of like scary so just getting them used to like uh different aspects of a regular ho- like a regular household like noises of a hoover and things like that um so just monitor like in terms of like checking their dogs over i mean checking their weight is a huge thing as well weight is a humongous problem in the veterinary industry and especially during sort of like challenging times at the moment where owners are at home a lot more they are being fed a lot more because their owners are at home a lot more but also too they are fortunately they are getting probably more exercise as well because um 
obviously we're limited to what we can actually carry out with at the moment so in terms of just making sure that you're not overfeeding um your dog or your cat is quite an important because weight is a, a huge problem as i said it can lead on to like things like diabetes or arthritis yeah like heart conditions and things like that so putting your hands on your dog so there is a, like a palm method that i try and teach clients when i'm dealing with the weight clinic especially um it's like the palm method so if you touch like the sort of like top of your hand sort of like where your hands like your your fingers are connected to your um, palm inside your hand you stroke across the top and that means that that to me on the on a rib aspect is the the animal's too too fat because I'm having to really sort of like push for to find those sort of ribs if I touch say like across my knuckles that means the animal's too thin and if I touch literally um sort of like um the top of my hand at the back of my hand that means the dog should be just about right and looking from a bird's eye point of view you should be able to see like a like a waist um sort of like uh as the where the dog's hips are um so checking your dog's weight is really important I've got to say as well yeah I mean what we can do is we can find or if you can provide something that you know, visually people can look at and go yes no you know that's what I mean I, need to there, be I mean there, there are different things for different breeds I mean I'm not saying like say if I've got a pug against um a a St. Bernard and stuff there's different shapes to them already so I can totally yes. see like from an owner's point of view oh my, my dog's not fat because uh it's got this that, and the next thing or um to to google uh the weight should be roughly about this every dog within that breed is completely different you get different sizes of that particular breed yeah. so it is based on sort of like visual and feel um I'm not like I can't say like every Labrador should be at least it should be only 18 kilos because you could get really really large labradors and you can get quite petite small labradors so it completely varies yeah. um but it is it is a case-by-case -case basis in terms of is my dog overweight or is my not is my dog not overweight perfect um so that is that, is there anything that you want to highlight you know to us the listeners about you know the veterinary sides or, or anything that we need to know your your veterinary um profession they aren't the enemy they are we are here to help if you have queries or worries or anything like that we are there to help you if you're not completely satisfied like i get it like some some vets can can talk in complete sort of like a medical sense and it doesn't make sense and you're almost you're too afraid sometimes to then go back so could you repeat that or could you explain that further that's what vet nurses are, and receptionists are there for as well like we can put it in a less sort of jargon lingo if you want so yeah always be kind to everybody individually to each other you don't know what's going on behind the scenes um everyone does have a bad day and i don't think we should be making that any worse as i said you're we are there to help and we want to help that's why we were in the job that we're in listen to your dog groomers as well if they're saying this is out of my pay wage this is not my qualification then listen to listen to them we as i said we are there to help we want to provide education for people that don't fully understand or need help or advice then uh, we work together on that that is perfect well i just want to um thank you for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure and if you ever want to come back on again because i know I'm more, I'm more than happy to more than yeah, happy. yeah i mean we've got so much to talk about there's so much more 
uh, within you know your industry that you know that we can really get across to everybody so yeah so thank you for that I just quickly um, before you go I'm just going to quickly talk about our missing pet sex uh, segment now I don't know Tash if you you probably see this a lot um, within your industry a lot of missing pets coming in being bought in you know or hearing about pets that are missing or stolen now I know sort of last year and and now this year it's rife it's it's so high it at the moment it's, it's a big it's, problem it really is um so I just want to bring my uh, your attention to a little dog called Buster now Buster was stolen uh while he was on his daily walk on the 13th of December 2020 he was stolen from Horn Lane Woodford uh, Woodford Green in Essex Buster is a small size corgi mixed breed rescue dog. He's microchipped and he's neutered. He was actually stolen um, from his elderly owner. Some gent- a gentleman bent down to pat him. Uh, a lady then took him and she was confronted by three other youths to prevent her from getting her dog back. So if anybody has seen or heard anything about Buster, then please get in touch. I'll place his picture on Facebook and on Instagram so that you can have a look at him. And if you have any information, then either get in touch with myself, you can contact 101, or you can jump onto Buster's Facebook page, which again, I will link in the show notes and on Facebook and Instagram. So yeah, so thank you again, Tash, for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. I will let you get on with your day. I'm sure you've probably got a shift this afternoon or something. Uh, yeah, I've got a pretty busy day ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I will leave you to it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening and I'll speak to you all soon.